Praise the Lord. So uh, take your Bibles with me, and I want to talk to you this morning about the, the, uh, your purpose, his presence, and his power. And, uh, or power and presence, I didn't forget, whichever, doesn't really matter, but those three all kind of clo- go together. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 16, and uh, now some of you have the NIV or some of those other uh, translations may not find these last fifteen verse, or last five verses there. Uh, there'll be uh, there might be a little uh, addendum down at the bottom of the page to say this isn't in the regular you know original manuscript. But I can't find that to be the case. It's in the King James. It's in a number of others. And uh, but it succinctly, in my opinion, it succinctly uh, tells us if you. Pull up uh, Mark 16 for me. And it's, um, it's a restatement of the Great Commission. And it also talks about some things that will happen as the church goes forward to, do the, to fulfill the Great Commission. This is what the, what the church is supposed to look like. So, um, you, you know, you might be in lighter print or italicized, but all these principles are found in the New Testament anyway or in the Gospels. So uh, I believe it's there. And... Um, for you know what we're going to talk about this morning, I think it, it, it like I say, it brings together the points that I'm trying to make. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and this is after he's been resurrected. He's appeared to them, and uh, he tells them, he says, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation," and that's for the whole world. That's what it says in Matthew, uh, uh, you know, twenty eight nineteen. That's what it says. I mean, that's that's that is. If we want to state what our purpose as the church is, that's our purpose, okay? Go into all the world and preach the gospel, I mean, right? So whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, baptism doesn't save you, but baptism denotes a mark with, uh, you know, a a cutting off of of a point in time where I say, I am no longer with the world. I am identifying myself as a believer in Jesus Christ. I belong to God. I belong to Jesus, and he's my Savior. And so, you know, because they were, you know, that was just the, the... outward expression of what's happened on the inside. We should be baptized. We believe that that's the thing, but baptism in and of itself doesn't make you saved, but the believing in the heart does. And whoever does not believe will be condemned. I mean, you got two choices. There's no gray area. You either are or aren't in the kingdom of God. All right. Uh, Verse 17. Uh, And these signs will accompany those who believe. Anybody in here a believer this morning? Okay. Just check it. In my name, they will cast out demons. Did you know you have authority over every work of the evil one? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Okay. I get preaching here and I won't get my sermon in. But they will speak in new languages or new tongues. Anybody in here baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do you speak in another language? Okay. Now, some people think it's foreign languages. And you know what? Sometimes I've heard that it's called, it's actually, when you speak in, in, in tongues, it's called glossolalia in the Greek. And there's another word called xeno, X-E-N-O, xenoglossolalia. It means that you're speaking in a language that's a known tongue in this world. It's foreign to you, but it's known. I've heard people speak in, I had an assistant pastor one time, I've said this before in here, but he spoke in Greek one day. He didn't know it was Greek. It was a tongue to him. But there was a Greek lady in the church and she knew what it was, and she came up after him and said, where did you learn to speak Greek so well? It's old, kind of an old-style Greek. He said, I, it's Greek to me. No, it's, he, it's a joke. No, but it's true. He didn't know Greek, and she told him what he said, and another man interpreted it, and it was exactly what she heard him speak. And that man over there, she said, so Zeno, and, and I've heard it many times, other people have said, you know, spoken Hebrew, other things that they didn't know. So there is that. But primarily, there are tongues of men and tongues of angels. So these, these are signs, supernatural signs of a presence that living inside of you, okay? Then it says they'll pick up snakes. It doesn't mean you go around picking up snakes. There's a bunch of people up in Hollers in West Virginia who call themselves Pentecostal who pick up rattlesnakes and, and try to prove something. That is not what we're talking about. But if a snake latches onto you, as it did Paul one day, and he, wasn't, he was bitten, but he wasn't hurt, and it was a sign to the people there that there was something going on, something supernatural happened. If they try to poison you with you know, some poison and you drink it, you won't be harmed. Why? Because the presence of God is living inside of you. Okay, 
Then after speaking to them, the Lord Jesus, oh, um, oh I'm sorry, last word. Uh, and, and, and you will lay hands upon the sick, as we're doing here with Cleta. And Cleta, I know this is your day, but they will recover. They will recover. Recovery doesn't always happen instantaneously, but they will recover. Okay, so you you know these are the signs. You're, you, you're greater as He is in you. The demons flee at the mention of the name of Jesus because He's inside of you. They can't kill you as long as it's in the timing of God. And, and He says you're going to pray for people and they're going to get well. These signs will follow them to believe. And so after speaking to them, the Lord Jesus. Uh, was taken up into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of the Father where he's sitting right now. And they, what did they do? They went out and fulfilled their purpose. They preached everywhere. And the Lord went with them because he was in them and he confirmed the word that they spoke with the signs that followed. They people saw the power of God because the presence of God was in them and so they fulfilled their purpose. And as they did that, they were reproducing people who discovered that they also had a purpose and that they would have a power because the presence of God was gonna be inside them. So when you have a purpose, you can fulfill it because the presence of God goes with you and the power of God is released with signs following. Do you get it? Ergo, purpose, power, presence. Ergo, that's a big Latin word. Okay. Now, I want you to turn with me to the book of James. I, heard, I was watching Creflo Dollar the other day, and he said, I'm building a skyscraper. Well, that's what I'm doing this morning. I'm laying a foundation to build a skyscraper. So it's going to take a few minutes, but stay with me. Okay. James says this. What good is it, my brothers? What good is it for you to tell me that you have faith, but you don't have any deeds that go with it? Can faith save him? Well, it's a, it's a rhetorical question, kind of. But if you say you have faith, then you must exhibit it for the world to see it in order for them to know that you have faith. So he's saying faith is necessary, but if you say you have faith and you say you really believe the word of God, then you should be living it out. Amen? Amen? Okay, just, you know, a couple I've got. All right. So it says then in verse 15, if a brother or sister is without clothes or lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace and stay warm and be fed well, and you don't give him what the body needs, what good is that? You know, people have needs in the body of Christ. That's why we feed the hungry. That's why we, we help people where we can. And that's why uh, the churches in the city banded together and created CUOC to do exactly that. And so, you know, then he says, so in the same way, faith, if it doesn't have any works, is not really faith at all. It's dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. See, a lot of people do good works. One of the problems with a lot of our churches have become social societies and they started out in power and they started out in presence and they started out in purpose, but now all they've got is works. They feed the hungry, they clothe the naked, but they don't preach the gospel. They've forgotten their purpose and they don't have any power and there isn't any presence there. James says, you know, I have works and show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith because of my works. See, I'll show you my faith because I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to believe that I can cast out the demons because I can. I'm going to believe that I can lay hands upon the sick and they will recover because the presence of God is in me, so I can. So I'm going to show you my faith by what I do. Then it says, the last verse 19, it says, you believe that God is one and you do well. But you know what? The demons also believe and they tremble. Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by what he did when he sacrificed Isaac on the altar? You say, well, no, his faith made him righteous. But God tested his faith by asking him to sacrifice the most precious thing he'd waited for all his life. And then God stopped and he says, I know you now. Because he was obedient. He was willing to sacrifice even his son, his most precious thing. He, the thing he'd been in expectation for for so many years, 
was, was, he was willing to say, I, I'm going to put that on the altar. I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to, Lord, I trust you. I have faith. So he's saying Abraham was justified, not just by his faith, but because he had faith, he was willing to sacrifice his son. You see that faith, next verse, was active together with his works, and by his works, faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness, and he was called God's friend. So you, have, you can see that a man is justified not by works, but by works and not by faith only. The two must be melded together. You have faith, you're gonna do stuff, okay? It's not enough to say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and you've never told anybody about Jesus. It's not good enough to say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ you've never prayed for the sick. It's not good enough to say you're a believer in Christ and you don't have any manifestation of those things in your works and in your life. James says that when Isaac, I'm sorry, when Abraham put his feet to his faith and offered up Isaac, then God knew that he truly believed and God was pleased by that faith. We talk a great deal in this church about faith. We preach it, we discuss it, we speak it, we confess it, we know the right words, but that won't do very much if you don't live it out in front of this world. Live it out in front of your family. Live it out in front of your coworkers or people you go to school with. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith it's impossible to please God. But what is faith? Head knowledge? Or daring to act as if the word of God was true? Faith, you see, is an action verb. You know why the book about the early church is called Acts? Because they acted. And it's the only book that in the New Testament that doesn't end with the word amen. Because it's not, you know, somebody said a long time ago, it's not, it's not done yet. We're still writing it. You're still his disciples, and there's still acts to be done. You can't say you have faith, even a grain of mustard seed faith, if you'll not do something about that faith. Now, faith is, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, we've kind of summed it up in two words, believing God. But belief, as Abraham we saw, requires deeds, right? Okay. So, that's part of the foundation. We're going to build a little, we're going to build another another room on top of that foundation, a bigger floor. I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 14. And I want to tell you a little story about Jonathan and his armor bearer. Before I do that, though, let, me, let, me, let me put you in understanding of what, in the context of what this is about. In chapter 13, we discover that Saul has been anointed as king. He's been king for about a year. How many know that when you're, uh, <laughs> we talked about this before, when you're anointed, the enemy comes to attack you to try to test you to see how, you know, when you poke your head out of the foxhole, be sure you're going to get shot at. So Saul's anointed as king, been there for about a year, and um, he has gathered 3,000 men together as an army, not a very big army. In this particular time, the Philistines have been ruling the country for the most part, and um, the people of Israel weren't even allowed to have swords or any military implements of war. And in fact, there was not even a blacksmith in the whole country, the whole nation of Israel. The Israelites had to go to the Philistines to have their plows sharpened, to have their you know, ozes, those things, the ases or whatever they call them, to cut down the, the crops and their sides and sickles and everything. So they had to go someplace else in order to even get them sharpened. So they didn't have any implements of war. So he has 3,000 men, and all they've got is pitchforks and garden tools. And the Philistines came out against him. And he won a, a minor battle, 
and uh, he's gone down, he's sacrificed, he's waiting for Samuel, who's supposed to come and, and, and do the sacrifice, and of course you know the story, he didn't wait, and so he did the sacrifice himself, and so God has already withdrawn his hand from Saul. And Samuel says there's going to be a man after God's own heart is going to be king. He's talking about David, and this hasn't happened yet. Saul has a son named Jonathan. Now, Jonathan has a relationship with the Lord, but uh, Saul has not. And now the Philistines, after he won that minor skirmish, showed up with 30,000 troops, chariots, horses, and all of his, Saul's army has melted away to the point where there's now 600 out of 3,000 left, and there's 30,000 Philistines. I don't know what that number is, the ratio is, but they're overwhelmed pretty badly. And the Philistines have camped over here in Michmash, and Saul's over here in, in Gibeah, and uh, the Israelites have melted away, as I said, the army melted away. The people themselves have gone to the other side of the river into the country of Ephraim, and they're hiding in caves. They're hiding wherever they can, little hidey holes to get away from the Philistines because they're afraid for their lives because Saul's not going to be able to protect them. He's only got 600 men, and the Philistines got 30,000. We're in deep doo-doo. And in fact, some of the Israelites have in fact gone over to the Philistines. And they've aligned themselves with the Philistines for out of sheer panic and terror because they want to survive. They want to eat. They want to live. Who can blame them? So that's the story where we are. And so these two armies are camped across the way from each other. And uh, Jonathan's getting tired of it. And so let me just read you these verses, and, and um, um, we'll, we'll skip through there, but I want you just to see the stories, put this as a foundation, okay? So the same day, so they're camped across from each other, Saul's son Jonathan said to the, his armor bearer, who carried his weapons, come, let's cross over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he didn't tell his father, because his father said to the whole army, you stay right here. And Saul was hiding, really, under a pomegranate tree in Migra on the outskirts of Gibeah, and the troops that he had with him were about 600. Okay? And Ahijah, who was wearing the ephod, the ephod, who was one of the priests, he was also there. He was the son of Hitub, the brother of Ichabod, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. Okay? But the troops did not know Jonathan had left. And there was two sharp columns of rocks on either side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross uh, to get to the Philistine garrison. And one was named Bozes and the other Sina. And I've got a whole thing on that, but you don't need to know it. One says shining and one is a hard place. And they stood in the north side of Michmash and to the other the south side of Gibeah. And so they're in a pass there and there's these two rocks, kind of between a rock and a hard place, right? And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, who, and he said, come on, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will save us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by few or by many. Hmm. Sounds like a faith statement. What do you think? That sounds pretty bold to me when you're outnumbered 30,000 to 600, don't you think? And his armor bearer said, Whatever you got to do in your heart, you choose, you decide. I'm here with you. Whatever you decide, I'm following you, Jonathan. And Jonathan said, all right, let's cross over to these men and let them see us. Whoa. And he says, here's the fleece that he puts out. He says, if they say, stay there until we come down to attack you, then we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. But... If they say, come on up here, we'll show you something, then we'll go up because that means that's the sign that the Lord has given them into our hand. Now, I was talking to this with Connie, and I said, I can think of a lot of other things I would have chosen before saying that. Because that would be the first thing I say, come on up here, we'll show you something. No problem. That would have been the first thing that they would have said. So I certainly wouldn't have chosen that as a fleece. But he's saying, that's, that's the one we're looking for. Okay. And so they let themselves be seen by the Philistine garrison, and the Philistines mocked them. They said, look, the Jews are coming out of their little hidey holes. 
Okay, and the, and the men of the Philistine garrison called to Jonathan, hey, you, whatever they said, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Okay, and <laughs> Jonathan says, that's it. That's it. Come on. The Lord has given him into our hand. He's outnumbered, forget 30,000 to 600. However many are up there is more than him and his armor bearer. And he says, you talk about courageous. You talk about boldness. You talk about faith. They're all exhibited right there, okay? And so climbing hand over hand, they climb up the rock. Now, you think about that. The Philistines know they're coming. They're climbing. All they would have had to do was throw some rocks down on them. They wouldn't even got up there. But they climbed up hand over fist up to the top. And when they got there, Jonathan began. He's the only one with a sword. And he starts to cut them down. And his armor bearer followed with whatever he had and finished them off. Sounds like a plan. In the first assault... Jonathan and his armor bearer struck down about 20 men in about a half acre field. So they're outnumbered 10 to 1. But the Lord is with us. And if God be for us, who can stand against us? Sounds like faith talk. Now, get this those two men created such panic in the garrison of the Philistines that terror, not just a little fear, terror spread through the whole camp. And all the way into the open fields of where all the troops were, 30,000 men are now in a panic because two guys dared to climb the mountain and kill 20 of them. Are you with me? <laughs> Even the garrison and the raiding parties were terrified. And it says that God sent an earthquake. It shook the whole place. And the terror from God spread through the camp. Now, when Saul's watchmen in Gibeah were looking, they saw the Philistines running in every direction, and they didn't know what was going on. And so Saul calls the troops together, and, and they find out who's missing, go on to the next one. And, and, and so they brought, the, they brought the ark out. They brought the priest out with the ephod. He's going to find out who's missing and uh, you know, keeps going in verse 19. And while Saul was speaking to the priest, the panic, the t I mean, the ground is shaking for crying out loud. The, the panic increases with intensity. And so Saul says to the priest, stop what you're doing. <laughs> wait, wait, wait just a moment. Okay. And, and then go to the next one, 21. Now catch this. There were Jews from the area who had gone into the Philistine camp and aligned themselves with the Philistines. Remember I told you that? But even they, once they saw the panic in the Philistines, left the Philistines and rejoined the Israelites because they saw that God was back on the side of Israel. That's an important verse right there. I want you to remember that. What happened? When the panic hit the Philistines because of Jonathan and David's faith, the people who had left and gone to the other side came back. And when all the Israelite men who had been hiding in the hill country of Ephraim in their holes and caves and everything else, they heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they came back and joined Saul and Jonathan. Not just that they joined them, they were put themselves on the front line because of one man's faith. And so the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle was extended way, way beyond to Bethaven. Okay, so... <laughs> Jonathan puts out a fleece like Gideon does. If they say this, we'll stay here. If they say, come up here, I mean, you know, come on up here, we'll go up there. And Jonathan got a great victory that day because, the, because, the, <laughs> because Jonathan lived a life of faith. All things are possible, you see, to them who believe. I know that sounds like you've heard that before, but is that the truth? It is. So Saul, you have to understand, no longer had the anointing of the Lord. Okay? I agree. And, and he couldn't hear from God anymore. And so he sat with the enemies surrounding him, 
coming out against his kingdom, his family, his health, his job, his finances. But he knew he could do nothing about it. And as a result, the people of Israel just moved away from him. David talked about Samson last week, and one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible is that the day when Samson's hair was shorn, he got up and did not know the Spirit of God was no longer with him. How sad is that? To be in a position where you don't realize that God's no longer with you. The presence of God isn't there anymore. And, and that was Saul's state. And in fact, in the 51st Psalm... David says, Lord, create me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. That was one of his greatest fears. He saw what happened to Saul. Without the Holy Spirit, we're nothing. Without the power of the Spirit of God at work in our lives, we can do nothing. We must have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us every day if we're truly, truly to become the overcomers God wants us to be, if we're truly going to fulfill our purpose, if we're truly going to do the things that God has planned for us. And even, even like I said, even a lot of Israel had gone into the caves. They'd gone away. They'd gone, joined up with the Philistines just to survive. They, they compromised their culture. Hear me. They compromised their relationship with God for a morsel of bread. They took on the look of the culture of the Philistines and left the relationship they had with God in order to look like the world to survive. They didn't want to be persecuted. They didn't want to fight. They just wanted to go along to get along. Saul was afraid. So were they. The lack of a relationship with God will bring fear into your life. But God's presence will give you overcoming faith that will move mountains. Um, see, a man without the anointing will let reason rule him. And there's nothing wrong with reason. But you know what? The supernatural power of God is unreasonable. You will never dare to believe, dare to take a step in faith, dare to be bold like Jonathan if you, if you let reason rule you. There's no way in the world if he was, Jonathan was a reasonable man, he would have ever dared to climb that mountain. Hmm. Reason is no substitute for faith. Now, it didn't mean Jonathan climbed that mountain. When he got to the top of the mountain, what did he have to do? He had to fight. God had given him a word. If they say this, we'll know God's given it to us. But he still had to climb, and he still had to fight when he got to the top of the mountain. But the victory was assured. We've said this many, many times on here. I read the last page. The fix is in, we win. Doesn't mean there's not a fight along the way. The anointing of God lifts us out of the ordinary into the extraordinary, into the supernatural. It fills our heart with faith because his presence comes in there and makes us something we could not be on our own. Jonathan, you see, still had, still had the faith of God and a relationship. And so he was sure he had favor with God, and therefore he dared to put his faith into action. He dared to put feet to his faith. He had two choices. He's stuck there between a rock and a hard place, and he says, you know what? I see victory ahead. I see the possibility. Who knows what the Lord has in store for us today if we dare to believe. Hmm. And so he asks, he doesn't know any better. He doesn't have what we have. We have the voice of the Spirit. Did you hear three words in here this morning? 
the voice of the Spirit of God. So I was, I'll speak about my own word, but I was looking up here at these two pregnant women who are about to burst any second. And the Lord said the church has been pregnant too long. The day of birth is here. Pregnancy is expectation. They call a woman who's pregnant, she's expecting. What is she expecting? She's expecting a child. Well, the church has been expecting for a long time, but he says today's the day of the fulfillment of it. Today's the day of birth. What you've been waiting for, he says, step into and receive. Jonathan didn't have that, so he puts a fleece out. I don't recommend fleeces, but it still works. But once he heard, he acted upon the word of God in faith. How many times have we had a word from God and sat there and said, that was a good word? You're in a church this morning that believes in the presence of God. And when the presence of God is here, God will speak to his people. He's not, a, he, he's not a short of things to say. But, but it's, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, that was a good service. Why was it? Oh, he had three words, tongues, interpretations. You had prophecy. You know, we, we're still, you're in a church that believes that. But you know what? If you walk out of here and don't do anything about that, don't write it down, don't remember what God said, what good was it? It's like people that fall down under the anointing. And if they get up from the carpet the same way they fell down, what was the point of falling down? Well, the presence of God felt really good. I know it feels really good, but you know what? Was God telling you anything while you're down there? The fact that the presence of God is so strong in that place that you're knocked to your, off your feet and fall down there, you should be weeping at the altar. Say, Lord, I want more. Help me, Lord, fulfill my purpose that you've called me to. You got a plan for my life. Let me build it. Let me do it. So Jonathan says, well, whether by few, us, whether by many, he's still Jehovah Jireh. He'll provide. God is looking for people who won't just hear the word, but they'll actually walk in the word. And when you're faced with a hard circumstance that's beyond what we're able to deal with in the natural reason, what should you do? We should seek the Lord, his word, and then dare in bold faith to decide to walk in what God has told us to do. You exercise faith by believing God, by getting the word of God, believing the word of God, and walking out the word of God, which proves that you believe it. If God said it, I believe it, that's good. But if you believe it, then do it. See, I believe, and I know it's true, that there is a supernatural anointing available for every spirit-filled believer who will dare to apprehend the word of God in faith and will Walk it out for themselves. I believe there's miracles, there's exploits, there's signs, there's wonders, there's everything waiting for those who will dare to, to declare and to believe and to walk in what God has told them. They will, they will get supernatural boldness, will cause the realm of darkness to literally shake because the power of God is being released through God's people by faith to help them fulfill their purpose. What can we learn from this little story of Jonathan and his armor bearer? Did you know, put up Romans 8.19 for me, would you? Do you know that even creation, the earth itself, is groaning in earnest expectation for the sons of God to be manifested? Creation is waiting for us to walk out what we believe. Adam lost it. Jesus got it back. God is waiting. Even his, old, his entire creation is awaiting for the sons of God to fulfill their calling, to fulfill their purpose, to waiting for the power of God to be released in the sons of God. I want to point you to a, a couple of scriptures. If you turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 4, you know, Paul and, and, and uh, 
John were th- uh, Paul, Peter and John were thrown into prison, and, and they, co- they were told they couldn't preach anymore in the name of Jesus, and, and they beat them, and they sent them back, and they went back to their, to their group, and when they came back to the house where the disciples were gathered together, when they were released, they went to the church, and they reported to them what the, all the Sanhedrin, all the chief priests and the Pharisees had said to them, and, and when, the, when they heard, when the church heard the church, the, the world said, here's, here, here's what it was. The world says, you can't tell anybody about Jesus anymore or you're going to jail. You can't tell anybody about Jesus on Facebook anymore or we're canceling your account. You can't tell anybody about Jesus on Twitter or you're going to be flamed by six million Twitter followers. Who gives a crap? Sorry, just the way I feel about it. But that's how the world's become. You say anything that doesn't go along with the, the ideology, the theology, if you will, of certain, of the left particularly, you're going to be persecuted for it. You'll get all kinds of nasty comments on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever the heck you guys are on these days. But you know what Peter and John did? They had a prayer meeting. And you know what they said? <laughs> they raised their voices to God and they prayed. And he said, Lord, you're the one who created all of this. And by and verse 25, and you said through the mouth of your Holy Spirit, by the Son, by, your, by our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage? You know, I'll tell you why they rage, because they're being motivated by Satan. And the kings of the earth, the rulers of our government said, we can't do this anymore. And they assembled together against the Lord and against the anointed one. And what did they do? And they, and, and they talked about Pontius Pilate and all the rest. But now it says, go to the next verse, 28. Now, Lord, you do whatever your hand and your purpose has predestined for us to do. Oh, and now, Lord, look at this. Now, Lord, consider their threats against me. Well, Lord, I'll tell you what. Give me some more boldness. I'm not going to shut up about Jesus just because you don't like it. I heard from a pastor in Sweden this last week. I told the men the other night that they had to take, they took his cross off his church in Sweden because they don't want to offend the Muslims. If he stood in the pulpit in Sweden and protests against homosexuality, he will be thrown in jail for hate speech. And it's coming to a church near you. What are you going to do about it? Well, Lord, give us more boldness. You've got a purpose. You've got a plan. You've got power. And I want your presence. And I'm not going to shut up for Jesus. I didn't say I would be unkind, but I'm not going to shut up for Jesus. And Lord, in the process of us having more boldness, stretch forth your hand (laughs) so that signs and wonders and healings may be done by your disciples in the name of Jesus. Why? What will it do when the power of God is released through his church? The presence of God will be seen. There's no other explanation for it. When you stand there and put your hands on a deaf person and those who were deaf suddenly begin to hear and the only thing you said, Jesus, what does it prove? The presence of God is there to heal. And it shows the world Jesus. Let us see, let the world see Jesus by our love. People say, well, we just gotta love him. I gotta love him, but I'm not gonna shut up for Jesus. And I'm not gonna stop saying that he's the only way. And if that offends you, I'm not sorry, but that's the truth. And if God says in his word, that homosexuals are loved by him, I will tell them that, but I will also tell them the rest of the word says that it is a sin, it's an abomination to God. Now, I got news for you. Every one of you in here, and me included, are sinners. 
in need of a savior. Homosexuals need a savior too. I will show him Jesus, but I'm not going to stop telling them that what they're doing, God considers an offense. That doesn't make me intolerant, nor does it make me a homophobe. It makes me a Christian who's speaking the truth in love. And so let them see not only my love, but the power of God. And the next verse, and when they prayed, creation was all excited about it, and they shook again the whole place. And they were all once again filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with what? Bold faith. They dared to believe and dared to act it out. Ergo, the book of Acts was written. Go back to 1 Samuel 14. Put up verse 20 for me, would you? I'm still building. Not there yet. Got another floor. So, all... All of Saul and his troops saw the panic of the Philistines and they decided to get involved in the battle. At least they had that much going for them. And the Philistines were fighting against themselves with so much confusion. And, and look at verse 21. I mentioned this earlier. So now even the Jews that had gone over to the Philistines came back and joined the army of the Lord. And, and in the next verse, and all the Israelites who were hiding in the caves of Ephraim, they came back and joined the front lines too. So catch this. News went racing faster than a Twitter feed, okay, through the entire Israelite nation and army. And even those who had aligned themselves with the Philistines came back to the side of Israel. And all the people who were hiding in the caves and the hollows of Ephraim, they came out and joined the battle to rout the Philistines. Remember, they didn't have any weapons of their own. But with their bare hands, with rocks, whatever they could find, whatever garden tool they could come up with, they went out and defeated the Philistines. Why? Because God was with them once again. Because of one man's faith. Those that had joined the enemy's army, in fact, realigned themselves. And they gave away, well... It, the news of what God was doing made them decide to leave their arena of compromise and, and, and the world of, and the culture of the Philistines, the world, and join the army of the Lord. And they routed that army with their bare hands. Now think about this. They'd been in a fight, they thought they were overwhelmed, they gave up their identities and joined the world. Their clothes looked like the world. Their words took on the appearance of the Philistines. Their habits became what the Philistines' habits were. Their music, they aligned themselves with the world to survive, to avoid persecution. But in a moment, they left all that behind when they heard that the church was on the move again. No, you didn't hear me. I'll try this side. There's a couple of you over here. When the news reached the Israelites, the people who used to be with the church, when they heard that the church was on the move again, when they were doing exploits in the name of Jesus, that God was with them, they left the world and rejoined the church. Somebody say Amen. They got it. And the ones that were hiding out, afraid of their own shadow, afraid to speak the name of Jesus, showed up on the front lines of the church and began to fight the battle. They were encouraged because they heard the church was up to something. Something good has happened over there at First Assembly. Something good's happened in the church of Jesus Christ. Forget First Assembly. Hallelujah. The church was beating back the gates of hell. They had reef and they the church had rediscovered its purpose. And as they 
walked in the power, the presence of God was with them, and it confirmed that God was with them as they're doing exploits, and the rest of the world, who, had, who had, some of the church who had left, you know, who go to these social groups called churches, decided, you know what, I need that. I've been looking for that. And they came back. And those who were out there in the world who'd lost their identity entirely, they not only had been backsliders, they, were, they had moved away entirely. They said, wait a minute. You mean that that's, I gotta tell you something. The first time I ever went to her church, I was raised in the Methodist church. We had robes. I was a choir boy. I used to be able to sing. I went to church. I never heard that I needed to be born again. But I went to her church, and their music was weird. They had trumpets, drums, and they sang these god-awful songs. We sang, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I mean, we sang the anthems of the church, Charles Wesley's great hymns. We had good songs. They had these little sing-song ditties. And then somebody in a bun behind me starts speaking in tongues. But you know what I discovered is that church had the presence of God. I'd never seen it. I didn't know the presence of God was available. And they prayed for the sick. And they believed for miracles. Well, I'd read the Bible. I knew miracles were possible, but everybody told me it stopped. When the early church died, it stopped. You mean it didn't? Why have they been lying to me all this time? Well, because we don't want to offend anybody. We, we don't want to get too excited. You know, that's just emotionalism. You know, when they jump and shout and wave their dumb flags, you know, that's just emotional. You shouldn't get excited about Jesus. You should be stately and reverent and calm and cool, chill. They still say that? No. Dinosaurs for Jesus. That's all right. I know how to code. They don't. Okay. Anyway... When I discovered that that was available, I got excited. I left my cool and calm state and became one of you guys, or one of them. And I tell you, the church is waiting for them. It's waiting for the sons of God to be manifested. Even creation is groaning right now. They rediscovered the presence of God was available. And when the presence of God comes, the power is released. And when that happens, God's people find their purpose once again as they proclaim the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And other people find out about it. They just say, I want, I want to get, I want what you got. I want Jesus. And, and they get filled with the Holy Spirit and they get power and the presence of God is in there and they rediscover their purpose. And the church is multiplied. And when that comes, the light comes in and floods the heart, the darkest heart of the most evil man. Darkness flees at the mention of the name of Jesus. Darkness flees every corner as the light of the gospel is being preached into the world. And, and, and it, will, it will flood everything. The glory of the Lord will be seen as the, and the earth as the waters cover the sea. And the people will come out of their caves and hidey holes and once again stand and declare, I want more boldness to preach about Jesus. He's the only way. Muhammad is dead, Confucius is dead, Buddha is dead, but Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. And if you don't like it, I love you anyway, but I'm not going to stop. Can you imagine what will happen? The restoration of the fallen, those that are bound in sin, compromised, they, they, they compromised with the world because they were afraid, because they didn't want to stand up, because there wasn't any reason to stand up, because the church didn't have any power. And what's the point of being with an impotent bunch of people? Can you imagine what might happen 
as the power of God to save and heal and deliver is once again spread in the land. The last verse of Mark will come to pass. The Lord will work with us, confirming his word with signs following. It has to be that way. Our breakthroughs will encourage others to once again, or maybe even for the first time, dare to believe, dare to take a step in faith and act as if the word of God was so. Our breakthroughs will will add excited new volunteers to the army, and they'll be in the front lines with us. Those that used to be bound in sin, those who were afraid, those without any hope, I'll be given hope and joy and peace and power, and they will once again fulfill the purpose of the plan of God. It says in Acts 10, 38, how that Jesus, put that up for me, how that Jesus went about, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. Let me know any one of you in here anointed this morning. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living inside you. How Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit and how he went about doing good because God is always good and healing all that were under the oppression of the enemy. That's the purpose of the church. And we do it because his presence, his anointing is in us. And the power of God releases as we dare to say, you know what, in the name of Jesus. We've got that same anointing. And we've got to fulfill our purpose in these last days. So, as I sum it up, guys, you can come up. We must begin to walk in faith and not just with words, but in actions. We must put our faith to work. And I know you've done it. I'm just encouraging you to continue. You too can climb the mountain and defeat the enemy of your souls, the one who's been mocking you. Come on up here. I'll show you something. Yeah, you think you're something? Let me tell you. I'm going to beat you down like a whip. You haven't seen what I'm going to do to you. You know what, devil? I don't care what you say. The word of God says, you're defeated. You're a liar. And greater is he is in me than he that's than you that's mocking me. You can't have my family, you can't have my health, you can't have my job, you can't have my finances, you can't have my children, you can't have my marriage, you can't have any of that because you're defeated. Huh. So you get up and dare get a word from the Lord. Don't just be impulsive, don't just rush out with anything. But you know what? There are some things we don't have to be, we don't have to get a word on. We, he's already declared his, his will is for people to be saved. His will is for people to be see, to be healed. His will is for people to be delivered and set free. Those are bound in sin. So I don't have to find a word on that. I just have to do it. But you need a particular word, then get the word and then dare to believe that it's so. I want you to put up Mark 11 for me. Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. And then he said, and you know these verses, these are Kenneth Hagin's life verses. I say to you that whoever will say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he say shall come to pass, he will have whatever he said. Now, I don't mean just anything. I'm not just saying just because you believe I'm going to get a new Range Rover doesn't mean I'm supposed to have one. But if you're walking in the will of God and we're in the word of God and you say, in the name of Jesus, I know that person's supposed to be saved. I I know it's not your will for them to perish and go to hell. I know that they're supposed to be healed. I know they're supposed to be delivered. And therefore, I say they're healed. And you know what mountain, whatever mountain is holding them back, in the name of Jesus, be moved. And I'm going to have what I say. Next verse. Therefore, I say to you, what things soever you desire when you pray. You know why I can say that? Because I'm dead in Christ. I've been resurrected, but I'm a new creature in Christ. My desires are no longer my desires. They're his desires. 
And I know that his desires being my desires, I know that whatever I believe and pray for, I know because he's put them in my heart to speak and to believe, I know I'll have what I say. I didn't say just because I want a new Jaguar XKE 1964 that it's going to happen. But I said his desires, my desires. And when you get to the top of the hill, there'll be a victory. You may have to fight for it. But you know what? When you, when you get that first victory, you don't quit there. Jonathan went on and destroyed the entire army with God's help, 30,000 people. The earth is shaking. They're in a panic. And what do they do? They, get, they went forward to Church of Jesus Christ, acted like the Church of Jesus Christ in power, and the church more and more joined to them. And until the end, there was more with them than against them. The presence of God prevailed, and the power of God was released. And the purpose for Israel was made, made manifest, was made aware. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Even mountains will move and tremble at the boldness of the faith of God's people. We need in these last hours more boldness. Lord, behold the threatenings and grant unto your servants that signs and wonders and miracles will be done. Stretch forth your hand to heal by the name of your holy child, Jesus, and may signs and wonders be done. And the Lord worked with them, confirming his word with signs following. Faith is not a theory, it's a fact. When you dare to believe and dare to walk it out, when you dare to climb the mountain in faith, even though it's a hard place, God will give you the victory when you reach the top. But once you reach there, don't stop fighting because there's more for you. Because what you will do is reproduce others. They will follow you. I didn't know that was even possible. I didn't know the church was supposed to look like that. Can you do that what, the other song, that victory song? Is that, that's the one you got. Okay. Bow your heads with me today. You see, God wants the people in the hidey holes and the hollows. Wants the ones who've gone into the world and forsaken the truth to rejoin the army of the Lord. I know it sounds a little militant, but you know what? It's time for the church to rise up and be strong in the power of his might. You can only do that when you and I act like we believe the word of God by our deeds. We realize what our purpose is. We realize we have the presence of God and we realize the power of God will be released as we manifest as God's children in this world. Whatever head be bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life, you wanna get right with God. If you're watching us by Facebook or YouTube, I implore you, God wants you to come home. There is a church in power awaiting you. There's a church of Jesus Christ. There's Jesus himself waiting for you. All he says is, Forgive, ask for forgiveness of where you've been and come into the light and he'll flood your heart with it. Anyone in this room need to lift your hand to God and say, I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. If you're watching by video, just say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to return home. I want to know you and the power of your resurrection and he will bring you as his child into his kingdom. For the rest of you, I want you to stand up and we're going to sing this chorus. And I want you when you leave this place, not to be just a hearer of the word, say that, wasn't that a good service? Pastor Kim was on fire today. That ain't good enough. Become a doer of the word and see what God will do. His name is greater than every need you have. Lord, I pray that you will strengthen your people with power in the inner man by the Holy Ghost that they will declare and they will act your word wherever they go in their offices, in love, but in power. That people will see the presence of God in them and be drawn to the light that's in them and let them fulfill their purpose in this world. That 
God sent them to preach the full gospel to the entire world. That even creation itself is groaning in earnest expectation that the sons of God would be revealed in this last day. So be it, Lord. Your anointing is upon every person in this place. Nothing can stop the church. No persecution, no evil, no weapon formed against it can succeed because you are in us and you are with us. And if God be for us, then who can stand against us? Lord, let them receive supernatural empowerment, supernatural grace to fulfill your purpose, oh God, supernatural embodiment of your presence, oh God. Let them be the church in these last days to stand for truth in the name of Jesus. And all God's people that receive it say, amen. So be it, give God the praise.